What's really funny is watching John film those videos when he's talking to himself. It's great. Anyway, welcome to Catalyst. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome everybody here. Again, putting a plug in for our mission dinner tonight, 6 p.m. tonight, downstairs in the basement. Come on out, eat a meal, support missions, and uh, it's going to be fantastic. So everybody be here. Okay, so we are continuing in our series, Loving God with Our Minds. And if this is your first time with us, joining us online or here, we have a year-long theme called God First. And so we're talking about this entire year, what it looks like. We put God first. Well, one of the things that we have to do in order to put God first is to make sure that we have our minds right. And so we're tackling some tough issues, some tough questions that, uh, that, that we don't mind tackling here at Catalyst. Uh, people are asking them, and so we need to tackle them. And it's amazing uh, the answers that people have. And today, I, uh, today is probably the most difficult one that I can, that, that at least personally for me, I, I, I am very troubled by what we're talking about today. I'm, I'm troubled and other people throughout history have been troubled with it as well. The question is, why would a loving God send people to hell? Why would, it, that, that, what is up with that? And so uh, this question of hell and eternal punishment has been a stumbling block to many people for the last 2,000 years. I've had numerous discussions with people who bring this up as an argument against being a Christian. And I'm not talking about dishonest people that are wanting to uh, just be, uh, be trolls, basically. I'm talking about honest people who are honestly seeking and can't seem to reconcile the, the concept of a loving God with the presence of hell. And it's a legitimate issue, so don't write it off. It needs to be addressed. And this is the place to do it. Because not only do we need, do they need, well, we need to know ourselves. And this will also be a challenge for you. And if you are a young person, if you're in school, if you're in, in, uh, about to go to university or anything like this, specifically this is for you because you will be questioned by your non-Christian professors, non-Christian teachers, your non-Christian friends. This will be one of their objections. And so you need to hear this and take notes. Please do. Okay? So there are two ways wrong ways of dealing with the, the concept of hell. I'm going to get those out of the way. The first way is to basically to deny it or minimize it, like many liberal theologians and denominations do. You've heard it. Uh, hell doesn't exist, or my God would never send someone to hell as if the person owns God like a pet. Uh, or Jesus was speaking metaphorically. He really didn't mean that, and he was just here to affirm everyone. Well, can you imagine Jesus standing on a Jerusalem hillside and saying, attention everyone, um, I need everyone's attention. Everyone is okay right where you are. I am not, you're in no danger whatsoever. But I'm going to the cross and I'm going to die for you because you're in no danger. And then three days from now, I'm going to be resurrected to save you from... Uh, well, nothing really. And uh, after that, I'm just going to, this has been the plan from the beginning, that you're not in any danger. I'm going to go to the cross, die, and be resurrected for really nothing. And I hope that you live your best life now. Can you imagine Jesus saying that? Well, that's what basically these people are saying. The second way is the exact opposite, is the all the way on the other, is to yell and holler about hell and use it as a manipulation or a scare tactic to increase your baptistry numbers. And we all know the caricature of the fire and brimstone preacher 
who does that. And I've talked to many people, even some of you all in here, who the reason you were baptized, became a Christian, wasn't because you loved God or saw some amazing relationship with him. because you were just scared of hell. And that is not... Uh, that is not what we're talking about here. Both those extremes are wrong, saying that it's, it doesn't exist or minimizing or scaring people into the bathroom. Neither of those is legitimate. Let's just get those out of the way right now. That is not what the Bible says. So let's take a look at this. With those two misconceptions out of the way, we need to address the fundamental problem of hell. And this is it, the problem. Here's the problem. Is that the concept of hell doesn't appear to be consistent with God's character. Okay, in 1 John 4, 7 through 8, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who, has, uh, who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Okay, here in Psalm 80, 86, 15, but you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And then the popular John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, have eternal life. So how do we reconcile that all over the Bible is, is talks about how much God is love. So how do we, it doesn't appear to be consistent with his character. That's the main problem. Well, in his book, uh, Erasing Hell, Francis Chan said this, I would love to think, as some have suggested, that the Bible doesn't actually say a lot about hell. I would love to stare at my friend's face when he asks a question we all fear. Do you think I'm going to hell? And say, no, there's no such place. Jesus loves you and wants to heal your pain and turn your sorrows into gladness. But the New Testament writers didn't have the same allergic reaction to hell as I do. Perhaps they had a view of God that is bigger than mine, a view of God that takes him at his word and doesn't try to make him fit our own moral standards and human sentimentality, a view of God that believes what he says even when it doesn't make perfect sense to us. Remember, God's character he is both love and justice. Like any good parent, a good parent is both love and justice. You guys have seen both extremes. Both extremes are wrong. A parent who is all love, oh, you're just so cute. Oh, you just cussed me out wonderful. You're so cute. You, they raise the most annoying brats you can't stand to be around. Okay, the all love is permissiveness. Now you've also seen parents all the way on the justice side that I mean, no matter what you do, bam, you're dead. You're you know, smacked down, no mercy, no, no grace, no nothing. The abusive parent, everything, they're all the way over here. And both extremes are wrong. In the same way, God is both love and justice. He's right here in the middle. God does not, is not all the way over here. He does not let things like 9-11, uh, things like concentration camps, things like mass murders, human traffickers, he does not let that go unpunished. If he was all the way over here on the love, he would, like a, like a permissive parent. But also he's not all the way over here, the fire and brimstone, uh, uh, God of justice and vengeance, with no grace, no mercy, everybody's sentenced to hell. He's not there either. He's right in the middle. So the concept of hell as a place of justice is not outside his character. Remember that. It's not outside his character. There must be justice for sin. God would not be a good judge if there was no justice for sin. One of the things that's going on in big cities, anybody been with uh, the news, what's going on in big cities? One of the big things, a huge crime wave, right? There's a huge crime wave. Uh, murders, carjackings, violent robberies are way up in major cities. Even in Nicholasville. I mean, I saw someone run a stop sign. It's like, whoa, crime is way up. Uh, you know, I mean, it's way up. Uh, but one of the identifiable reasons is that many big city district attorneys are refusing to punish crime. The police will arrest them, and the DAs will not press charges. 
So in other words, for, for their, their crime, there is no justice. In San Francisco, you can rob a store. As long as it's under $950, it is petty theft. It is not grand theft. And the police will, will, will arrest, and then the, the, they'll be out on the street five minutes later because it's a petty theft. And the, the, the DA named Chase Boudin is facing a recall right now because the people of San Francisco are fed up. They cannot handle this lawlessness. They, 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 they're demanding justice. And just like District Attorney Chase Boudin, if God allowed sin to run rampant all over the earth, he would not be worshiped as good. He would not be, if he allowed sin to go unpunished, we would cease to see him as good. Like the people of San Francisco are, are seeing Chase Boudin as not good and wanting him out of there. We would feel the same way. There cannot be worship where there's no justice. On the other hand, if God were all justice, we'd all be lost. Every one of us would be fairly sentenced to an eternity in hell. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. There's, we can't plead our goodness in here. There's not a person in here that can stand before God and say, hey, God, I'm, I'm, I deserve heaven because I'm a good person. No, you can't do that. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so there, there cannot be uh, worship where there's no love either. So how does hell line up with both the love and justice of God? Well, we can't understand hell without understanding what heaven actually is, the opposite. So let's go right there. Let's go. The definition of heaven is this. The place where things are as God intends them to be. That's what heaven is. Let's play the Lord's Prayer. Say, our Father, say it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus gives us a definition of heaven that things are as God intends them to be. 24-7, 365. That's the definition of heaven. And everyone wants to go to heaven, right? Everyone? Well, I've done funerals, lots of funerals, and believe me, no one in the funeral crowd wants to hear anything about hell, okay? Uh, they'll probably not go well in the eulogy. Well, we all love Mr. Smith, but he's probably in hell now. That's probably not the best thing to say at a funeral. No, 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 no. If you say we all love Mr. Smith, and right now we know he's dancing at the feet of Jesus. You know, you get claps and amens and cries and all that kind of, you know the deal. Everyone claps, every, you know, everyone wants to go to heaven, right? Well, let's look a little bit closer at heaven. See, many people have the definition of heaven wrong. Mark Twain said, I want to go to heaven for the weather and hell for the company. Wrong. See, to understand hell, we have to have the right understanding of heaven. Uh, heaven isn't some ongoing party where you get to do whatever you want, where you get to eat as much as you want without gaining weight, where you, uh, you, it's always sunny and 70 degrees, where there's always deer season, there's a 50-point buck 10 yards from you. Uh, where number two seed Kentucky can actually beat a number 15 seed. You know, that, that is not what heaven is, okay? Heaven is a place where things as God wills them to be. And that's not what a lot of people think. That's the kind of uh, shocker to people when they find out heaven isn't all about them. It's about God. In his book, Crazy Love, Francis Chan makes a brilliant point. He says this, and the critical question for our generation, for you and me, and for every generation is this, if you could have heaven, with no sickness, with all the friends you ever had on earth, all the food you ever liked, all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Jesus wasn't there? For the Christian, an eternity with all those things minus Jesus Christ would be hell. Because to be sentenced to eternity from away from our first love, would be hell. And also for the non-Christian, number three, heaven would be hell for someone who doesn't love God or his ways. 
Psalm 36.1, I have a message from God in my heart concerning sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. Think about it. If you have no love for God, you have no love for his ways, no love for his word, no love for worship, no love for his commands. If the part of you that just recoils at the thought of God running your life, you would be sentenced to an eternity of things being as God wants them to be. And for you, that would be hell. That would not be heaven for you. For example, it's no great secret around here that I think Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas Is You is the worst song ever written or recorded. It's no great secret. And the people play it all the time just to torment me. Okay, I hate that song. Now imagine if I was sentenced to an eternity of listening to that song. That would be horrific. It would not be heaven for me because I loathe that song with every fiber of my being. In the same way, person who resists God's command to love one another, who hates God's command regarding sexuality, who love money, who believe in taking advantage of other people and, and bristle at the thought of being told to treat others as they want to be treated, being forced to live in a place where those things are eternally present would be hell for them. God never forces himself on anyone. He never, he never makes you love him. He never grabs you by your throat and says, love me. He never does that. He respects you because you're a person made in his image, and he allows you to choose for yourself. So God looks at the rebellious, unconverted heart and says, you want nothing to do with me or my ways. I respect you as a person, as being capable of free will, and I will not force you to do anything you don't want to do. So I will create a place, and I'm gonna call it hell, where I am not, where I have stepped back, where I have withdrawn, and that place will be where you choose to go. You won't have to put up with me for eternity. So number four, God created a place where he was completely absent, called hell. Revelation 20:14 describes it, that death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, the lake of fire, the second death, is described as a lake of fire, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place of torment. Now, why is that? Why couldn't God create this place where he wasn't? But it'd be okay, it'd be good, it'd be fun. You know, friendship, all this kind of, just without the God stuff. Why couldn't he do that? Well, this is why. This is the catch. Number five, everything good flows from God. And when he leaves, everything good leaves with him. Okay, Galatians 5, 22 to 23, you hear this verse all the time because these are the things that flow from God, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the things that flow from God. And when God steps back and removes himself, those things go with him. For example, let's say the sun goes out. The sun, everybody, who, who likes seeing the sun this morning? Wasn't awesome? Yeah, who, who got outside yesterday and really enjoyed the day yesterday? Wasn't awesome, okay? Y'all, y'all saw the sun. Y'all know what I'm talking about. That big flaming ball of gas right there that heats it and gives us light. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? All right, science majors. Okay, cool. All right, so, well, if the sun were to go out, if it was to use up all its energy, if it was to collapse the heat, and the light that flows from it would leave too. That's, that's not a, an illogical thing. The presence of the sun, if it goes out, all the things that we enjoy from it go with it. In the same way, it, God removes himself. All the things that flow from him are removed as well. And that's what hell is. The Bible identifies those nine things that can flow from God's presence, things I just named. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those things leave as well because they emanate from God. See, people don't realize this. We've never been in a situation where God is completely removed. We've never lived in a place where God has removed himself. Just, uh, just like we've never known a world where the sun is absent, we've never known a world where God has removed himself. Hell is a place where God is completely withdrawn from. He has completely removed himself out of respect for the unbeliever that wants nothing to do with him. And therefore, there's nothing left but evil. It is a place where Satan has free reign. And you, all, you and I don't understand that. We don't have any clue. There will never, ever be a place on earth like that. Not in the most horrific war zone, total anarchy, total breakdown of society has there been a time where evil has had free reign. I, I kind of, the analogy, kind of like a dam. Uh, holding back this huge river and, and like, you know, maybe there's a leak or two and, and some of the water's spilling over and the people are like, man, I can't believe this, this dam is so evil. Look at, it's letting all the water. I can't believe this. And God says, I'm holding this back for you. But there'll be a time when this dam is gonna go and then you will see the full, you think this bad now, you're getting drips. The full force of evil will be released when, the, when I remove the dam. That's what we are looking at in this world, you all. The book of Job tells that God has Satan on a leash, a tight leash. You can do this and no further. But hell is a place where God does not have Satan leashed anymore, and Satan has full reign. He's completely withdrawn. All his protection, all his power to limit Satan, all his guardrails, everything good is gone. And nature abhors a vacuum. When God is not, the law of the jungle might makes right, and Satan will have complete and total reign. If you thought concentration camps in Germany were awful, if you thought the 2020 riots where people just burning and looting and everything were awful, you haven't seen anything yet. If you think it's a place where evil is free reign, 24, 7, 365, it's completely devoid of everything you love that gives you hope, that gives you any sense of meaning or purpose. There's no justice because that flows from God. There's no mercy because that flows from God. There's no grace because that flows from God. Okay, it's a place where Satan does not have to operate by God's laws or work within God's framework, people. That's what hell is. I was sharing my faith with a guy who asked why I would love and worship a God who tortures people in hell. And I said, well, God doesn't torture people in hell. God isn't even in hell. He's completely removed. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't torture people in hell. It's not what it is. Uh, he's completely removed. He's not even there. The guy said, well, that sounds like my kind of place. No God. Have you ever heard the phrase, I said, be careful what you ask for because you just might get it? He goes, yeah. And I said, dear asks for some food and sees a nice corn pile in the middle of a field. A fish asks for food, sees a nice juicy worm floating in the water right ahead of him. Be careful what you ask for, I said. You just might get it. And it turns out to be nothing like you expected. I said in Jesus' most famous story, the story of the prodigal son, the younger son wanted action, adventure, excitement. He was tired of boring old dad. And he took the old man's money and he went off to a foreign land to live it up, to do what he wanted. Lost all his money, lost all his friends, was starving, beggared. He was living in a pigsty, longing to eat what the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Be careful what you wish for, I said, because you just might get it. 
And like the deer to the corn pile and the fish to the worm, it didn't turn out like he expected, and by that time it was too late. I said, remember, above all, Satan is a deceiver. Jesus says that when he lies, he speaks his native tongue. There is no truth in him. And like a deer to a corn pile, a fish to the lure. Satan baits you into thinking that hell would be a place where you would want to go, where you don't have to live by God's repressive commands, where you don't have to do what the old man says, where you can just live it up and do whatever you want. In reality, hell is the place where Satan does whatever he wants. And you're the victim for all eternity. I said, just like a fish, brother, has no awareness of the water it's been swimming around in because it's been there forever. We are not aware of the presence of God in this world and the good things that flow from him. We've never been without it, you all. We've never been in a world where evil has free reign. I told him we, we live in a world where evil has limited reign, I told him. And I said, even in the most war-torn hellhole, evil is still limited. I said, if nothing else, here on earth, even the most deranged psychopath has to sleep at least a third of the day. So you get a third of the day off from the evil and repressive in hell. There is no break. There is no limit. There's no justice, no love, no joy, no peace, no patience, no kindness, no goodness, no faithfulness, no gentleness, no self-control, because all that flows from God, and God has stepped back and removed it from us. That's what hell is, you all. It's a place where God is not, and everything that we enjoy is gone as well. You've never experienced a place like that. That's what hell is, and by the time you figure it out, I told him, it's gonna be too late. And that rattled him. But then I told him, number six, I said, there's a solution. No one has to experience hell because of Jesus' sacrifice for all. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus believes in hell, listen to this, Jesus believes in hell a lot more than a lot of us. Did you know that? Jesus believes in hell a lot more than, uh, than we do. If hell wasn't real, if it was not a real thing, a real danger, Jesus would not have gone to the cross. If hell wasn't the des destination for everyone, he would not have gone to the cross and gone through what, what we talked about last week. If hell could be avoided by simply being a good person, Jesus would have just told us to be a good person and wouldn't have gone to the cross. No doubt, Jesus believed in hell. And if he believes it's real, his actions showed that he did, that's good enough for me. And it should be good enough for you. I was asked, do you really believe that people who aren't Christians go to hell when they die? That's a tough question. I mean, you think about the nation of Japan where it's like 1% Christian. You go over to Pakistan where it's like 2.5% Christian. You go to India where it's like 1%, 1.5% Christian. I mean, that's like a billion people that don't know Christ. Am I audacious enough? Am I hateful enough to say that, yes, all those people are going to hell because they don't know Christ? And I said this. I said, it doesn't matter what I think. Let's reframe that question. I said, does Jesus believe that all who don't know him go to hell? That's the question, not, not what I think. Take what I think, wad it up and throw it away. Does Jesus believe that people that, live, that die without him go to hell? Does he believe that? He didn't tell us to follow Moses or Buddha or Muhammad or Confucius. He believed that so strongly 
that he went to the cross and died. I cannot think of any logical reason why Jesus would have gone to the cross if he did not believe that people who don't know him as Lord and Savior go to hell when they die. I I mean, I, I could open the floor. Can anyone tell me a good reason why Jesus would go to the cross if he believed that people who don't know him go to heaven? Can anyone give me a logical response? Uh, Jesus' actions make no sense unless he truly believed that without him, he, that people are lost and sentenced to hell for eternity. That's the only thing that makes sense with Jesus' actions. And so if that's what Jesus believed, if he believed it that strongly, that he would take his life and die for, for, to save humanity from it, I'm not arrogant enough to think that I know better than him. Let's not be such fools as to think we know better than the Son of God himself. I'm not arrogant enough to say that. My friend told me that he thought hell was wrong and unfair. If you notice, he moved from intellectual arguments to emotional arguments. It's wrong and unfair. I've heard that about a lot of things. I've heard that I'm unfair as a dad. I've heard I'm unfair as a coach. When I make players do things they don't want to do, make them run, make them run sprints. So the whole thing of being wrong and unfair is an emotional argument, it's not an intellectual argument. But I said this, I said hell would be wrong and unfair if God didn't do everything possible to warn us about it. If we didn't know anything about it, and all of a sudden, boom, we're just living our lives and, and, and we die and all of a sudden, boom, we're in hell. That, that would be unfair. But listen to this. Think about everything God has done to warn us about it. He created us. He gave us the Old Testament law, talking about this is what he expects. He gave us his one and only son who died on a cross, was resurrected to save us from hell. He gave us the New Testament. He gave us the church to to teach the gospel, to be our support system. He even gave us the book of Revelation and told us how it's all gonna end. He literally told us what's going to happen at the end. So how can we say it's wrong and unfair when he's given us all of those things? An example, imagine that tomorrow, God appears in your living room. And he says, listen, upcoming Super Bowl, the two teams in the Super Bowl are going to be the Browns and the Bengals. Hey, we're dreaming, okay? And not only that, the Browns win. And the score's gonna be 57 to 41. I've told you who's in, the, who's in the Super Bowl. I tell you who wins. I even tell you the score. And you're like, yeah, right. I don't think so. And as the season progresses, yeah, the Browns and the Bengals make the run. All of a sudden, they're in the Super Bowl, you know? And you take all of your life savings, because we're smart people, right? We take all of our life savings. We mortgage the house. We empty our retirement. We everything like that, and we bet on the Bengals, Right? And then at the end of the game, it's the Browns 57, Bengals 41. You've lost everything and you shake your fist at God. That's unfair. God's like, what else could I, I told you. I told you who was in, I told you who wins. I even told you the score. What more could I have done? 
And guys, that is the analogy I want you to keep. Because so many of us are betting on the wrong team. God has told us how it ends. He's told us Satan's future. He's told us the, the way it all ends with the return of Jesus and the, and, and the destruction of hell and sin and death and, and starting a new uh, glorious uh, uh, world in, in the book of Revelation. He tells us that. And so many of us are like that stupid football fan who are putting all of our investments in the wrong team. Hell is not unfair or wrong because he's told us there's nothing more he could have told us. God has given us every warning. He's provided a way out. He's told us how it ends. And if we end up in hell, which I pray not a single person in here today or in the next building or online, I pray that not one of you ends up there but there's nothing else God can do. He's told you everything that you need to know. And if we end up there, it's not because God is unfair or wrong. It's because we were rebellious and unconverted, stubborn and stupid. I'm gonna invite the band to come on back up. So I go back to the beginning of this message. So instead of Jesus standing on a hill saying, everyone, you're okay the way you are. I'm gonna to go to the cross to save you some, well, nothing really. Instead, Jesus is standing on a hill, is saying, everyone, hell is real. And everyone who's ever been born is in mortal danger of it. That's unacceptable to me because I love you. I created you in my image. And you being separated from me for eternity is unacceptable to me. But I can't force you to do anything you don't want to do. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to publicly go to the cross. I'm going to take all of your sin, past, present, and future, and it's going to die with me. And on the third day, I'm going to resurrect from the dead and invite you into this new, glorious, amazing life with your future as heaven if you will so decide. I'm not going to the cross so you can live your best life now. I'm not going to the cross to affirm whatever lifestyle you choose. I'm not going to the cross so you can persist in rebellion against what God wants you to do. I'm going to the cross because hell is very real and I want you with me because I love you. I'm going to the cross because I love you too much to do anything, to, to, pull, to, to pull up short. And he took the cross upon his back, the man who knew no sin, who lived a perfect life, the son of God himself. And he was crucified, he was dead, he was resurrected to give us new life and hope of heaven. Those who love God in his ways, who surrender to him and are baptized, will never see hell or experience separation from God. They will never know what evil totally unleashed is like. Those who choose otherwise, who do not love God or his ways, God respects them enough to create a place where he is not. 
That's what hell is. It's a place where God and everything that flows from him is absent forever and evil has free reign. I want to plead with you as your pastor. If there is anyone in this room that is not saved, that has never been baptized, that has never taken the amazing gift of Jesus Christ, if you've never repented of your sins, if that is you, I'm gonna ask you, I'm gonna beg, I'm gonna plead with you. I pray that you would be saved. Every Sunday morning, the elders gather in that room and we pray over you. We pray for you. Every Monday morning, the staff prays for you. And the burden of God has been on my shoulders. And staff and the elders can attest to this, that for the last two months, my prayer has simply been that every person that steps foot on this property is saved. That if we were, if, if, if it was all to end right now, that not one of you would be lost. Because that's, that, that's my prayer. Not because I want to threaten anyone or scare anyone, because I want you to know eternal life with Jesus Christ. I wouldn't be much of a pastor if I didn't. So my prayer is that if you don't know Jesus Christ, I pray that you will know him. I pray that you will not walk out this door without a heavy conviction on your heart, without a desire to change and follow Christ for the rest of your life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God bless you.